p.m. This is Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Yes, folks, I'm with my co-host, Ray Pillar, and we've got a phenomenal guest today, which we're going to let Ray mangle his name so I don't have to, and it'll be another win in Ray's column of mangling names. Ray, how you doing, and where are you? What's the weather like? Well, I am at home, and the weather is a beautiful 86 degrees, sunny. We've had some fantastic weather here in, in uh, Aurora, near Chicago. And I was out on Lake Michigan with a friend uh, yesterday enjoying the, the beautiful scenes from the, uh, like from the lake, looking over uh, Chicago. And I, I, I thought it was really fantastic. It's the first time I've been out there. Uh, the weather was absolutely perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It was sunny. And a lot of people out on the, on the lake. So uh, right now, like I say, I'm back back at home, and the next week there's a possibility I'll be at a campground and doing the show. But other than that, that's okay. it. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you don't have I'm glad you don't have snow. We've been dealing with the Big Sur fire, um, which is about 90 miles north of us, and oh, I got to no. tell you. The, it, you can. It smells like a bonfire outside. Even down here, it su- smells like a bonfire, and the, the sun is an orange. Uh, quick shout out to our get our co-host Elizabeth Denham. She's not feeling well today, so she won't be joining us. But we want to send a good uh, get well soon wishes to Elizabeth. We miss you. So Ray, you want to introduce our guest? Certainly do. I'd like to introduce David Kajanik. Did I do it okay, David? You nailed it. Kajanik is <laughs> All right. And David, David is, he is, he's very interesting. He is one of the first franchisers of Buffalo Wild Wings, and he now owns seven locations. And that is phenomenal. You know, it, it, it's it's difficult to uh, own one location of anything, and you own seven. And also, you are a, a leader a guru, a leadership guru. Is that correct? How, how do you? I don't know how you want to. Uh, I don't know. Guru is a guru is a lofty term, but let let <laughs> let's just say, let let's just say I'm I'm very interested in leadership, and uh, and it's what I base everything on. Absolutely. So one quick correction to what Ray said. You weren't one of the first. You were the first, were you not? That's correct. That's correct. That's all right. My wife and I I were the very first franchisees of what was then called CW3. Now it's Buffalo Wild So. Yeah, the very oh, okay. the very first one. And as far as the seven locations, boy, that's been a winding road. But that's where it sits today. And I'm actually, you know, I actually joined with another franchisee at some point, and, and he's, you know, we're, we're partners in it together. So he's um, a good friend of mine. We actually, it's a great story. Good friend of mine. He we, we're college baseball teammates, and uh, 
we kind of built our own organizations and we combined them and, and uh, Ken Brown is his name. And, uh, you know, he's the, he's the majority partner at this point in time. And, mm-hmm. and we have seven locations we operate. Yep, absolutely. Having a partner in business is worse than having a wife. (laughs) (laughs) Not with us. It's been a dream. We talk all the time. We wish we'd have done it 20 years ago. You you have to have a very special relationship with your uh, business partner. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and, and we do. As I said, we've known each other since our college days. That's fantastic. You know, that wife comment's going to come back to haunt you. It will, my friend. That white comment will come back to haunt you. If nothing else, I'll make sure of it. Go ahead. Well, I've had a, a wife as a business partner. You know. I know. So you missed the first question. And, 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 and as if I. <laughs> Ray, so, you missed our first question. Actually, uh, you didn't ask I him the correct question. No, Ray missed asking the first question. So, I mean, come on, dude. We don't know where he is or what the weather's like. I was was concentrating so hard on making sure I pronounced his name correctly (laughs) that I forgot to ask you, David, where are you and what's the weather like? Awesome, yes. I am actually in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, North Royalton, Ohio, to be specific, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Um, The weather is absolutely gorgeous, believe it or not. Um, And it's been gorgeous all summer long. It's about 80 degrees, perfect sunshine, no breeze, just feels fantastic out there. But that's kind of the way it's been all summer. You know, it's it's just been a, a fantastic summer. And unfortunately, we know what's coming, coming at us around the pike here in a few months, which, you know, the nights are getting a little bit, you know, days are getting a little bit shorter, um, getting darker a little bit earlier. So we, we know it's coming, but we're enjoying it, you know, while we can. What's yeah, coming in a couple of months? Days, not like somebody... What was that? What's that? A little bit of winter. It's called winter and it's gorgeous. The snow is blanketed with, I mean, the snow, the ground is blanketed with snow and it just looks absolutely gorgeous until it turns into snort. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. And and folks, don't worry. I will be in Chicago in December. A heart attack couldn't stop me two years ago. I'll be there this the, no matter what the snow is in December. So I still get to enjoy your lovely snow. I don't like it, but no Chicagoan does. They say they do, but uh, they don't. kid Fred all the time that he doesn't have weather. You know, it's always sunny no. in Southern California. He doesn't have weather. No. We enjoy our weather here in the Midwest. <laughs> Well, enjoy is a stretch, but uh, but let's let's just say we acknowledge the weather. <laughs> so you fool yourself into saying we enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. Now we can go to pillars of franchising. We finished pillars of weather. So now take your question. So so you started you started uh, your own little business while you were in college. Is is that what you just said? No, no, no. That's that's um, my current business partner. That's where we met. You know, oh, okay. But, okay. Yeah, we we yeah we were we, you know, met um, each other in college, and uh, you know, actually we're college teammates, and 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 we're just great friends. And then after college, we went our own separate ways, and um, 
Oh, I would say about eight, I think it was eight years after college. That's, uh, that's when we started, right? You know, my wife and I started the first franchise and bought the first franchise. And a couple of years after that, I kind of told him, hey, we got this thing going on. He came up and uh, he started his. And then we both built our own little organizations. And as I said, maybe 20 years later or so, we combined. We'd, we'd look at each other and say, why didn't we do this right from the beginning? But didn't know, didn't have the experience and really, you know, we just dove in and did our own thing. Well, I, re- I think everybody knows uh, about Buffalo Wildlands as a pretty successful franchise. Uh, so what does it take, you know, to, to, how should I put this? To be the first of a, a franchise out there takes a lot of guts. Tell us, can you give me, you know, some background? <laughs> what made you take a chance on, on this particular franchise and invest into it? Well, you, you know, there's that old saying is you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> so so that, that would fall into that category. I, I mean, to make a real long story short, um, or at least somewhat interesting here, is, is back then, which was, uh, you know, 1991, 92 time, because um, we opened in 92, so we discovered it in 1991. Okay. You know, I was, I was working for a, for a Fortune 500 company at the time, and I was a supervisor in, in, in the company. And, and I remember we had a, a lunch with a couple of other supervisors, and uh, it was an odd question. Somebody asked me, what do you want to do? I went, <laughs> that's a, okay, let's talk about that. And I just blurted out. I mean, now me, keep in mind, we're in the fast track of a big company, so we had promotional opportunities and all those things. And so I, I thought it was an odd question, but it, it, it just came right out of my mouth almost immediately. I said, I want to own a sports bar. And um, at that time, they weren't as prevalent as they are today. So we, I, I had gotten promoted and was transferred down to Columbus. And um, that's where I met my wife. And I happened to ask my wife, you know, where do you get good wings here in Columbus? And she asked her brother. Her brother said, BW3. And we went down there, and um, they had a little sign on the back behind the counter. It said, you know, probably handwritten for all I remember, and said, for franchise information, call. And uh, and we called and had no idea what we were getting into. Um, you know, and it's a true entrepreneur story where we, we're going to do this no matter what. We didn't have any money. You know, put the franchise fee on a credit card, sold everything we had. It had a garage sale, sold our house, sold cars, <laughs> sold everything, quit everything, and and, uh, you know, moved up to Cleveland, looked for a location and, you know, lived in a small bedroom in my grandmother's little 1200 square foot ranch, you know, and, and, and that's how it started. I mean, we were bent on making sure we were successful, but, you know, looking back on it, knowing what we know now, yes, it was gutsy. And yes, we didn't have all the information we should have had to make a proper decision, um, but, but we were going to make it work no matter what. That, that's, that's an amazing story. And, and, you know, I, I guess my story could be similar in, in, in to a uh, certain degree in that I invested everything that I had plus, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it and, and it, it was gutsy as well. But uh, your success and uh, I consider myself successful at uh, at, the, at my franchise, which is a Molly made uh, home cleaning service, and uh, it's. You know, over the years we've expanded, and, and as you have expanded, and that's the way it it needs to happen. And I think one one of, one of the things I'd like to discuss with you a little bit is why do you think you have been so successful in that? And I want to you, you know t- kind of lead you in the direction of leadership 
how has your leadership skills helped you be so successful? Wow, that is that is a great question. And, and um, do you mind if I answer in a couple, maybe two different parts? Absolutely, please. So initially, initially, what, what I would attribute our success to was, I, I always joke around, I said it was fear, right? I mean, we left, we left um, perfectly comfortable jobs with benefits, with, you know, promote, you know, I was supposed to be a vice president of the company in three years. And you know, we left all that security, so-called security, as, as people would say, it, and, you know, everything we owned plus some, right? So we opened up a, we opened up a business and we opened it up in an area that was kind of a touristy or, you know, very popular, trendy place, but it starts usually in May. When, when it starts getting real popular. Well, we didn't open up till July. So we opened up, again, remember, we're out of money at this point in time. I'm, I could go into a real long story about that, eating bologna sandwiches out of cars while everybody else is going to other restaurants. But, but we opened up and we're excited and nervous. And all we did was watch all these people walk by our building, walk by our place, walk by our place. They had already had their routines and, and, and where, they, you know, they're, they're, where they always went to already embedded. So it was a struggle to begin with. And I remember we just basically told our family, friends, everybody, hey, this is our life 24-7. If you want to see us, you're going to have to come down and visit us there because we, we're not going to be available for anything. So, you know, the fear was, you know, you open up a, you open up a new sports bar and uh, you owe several hundred thousand dollars. You don't have a penny to your name and you have no idea if you're doing good or not. <laughs> you start doing some sales, you start doing some sales and you're a rookie in business. And all we knew was we were going to make it. We were going to survive. Yeah. So, so as far as the success, you know, you know, what drove that is, is, is I, I say fear jokingly, but it was really just hard work and, and a relentless desire to, to, to be successful and, 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 and persistence, you know, and, you know, um, I call it now relentless persistence. I, I tell everybody that's key to success in, in anything. It's relentless persistence. You, you, you're going to get hit with obstacles. You have to overcome them. So if you're going to say leadership, I would say the first 10, 15 years, maybe. I, I don't know if I would consider myself a great leader. I was more of a manager at that point in time. And there's a, there's a big difference. I'll talk about that in a second between a manager and a leader. And I would say I was a manager. I, I came, you know, just like anybody, you know, you have a certain perception of being a manager, being an owner, being a leader. Um, and and I, I don't think I was back then. I, I think, you know, in some aspects, sure. But in most aspects, when I look back on everything I've learned and what I teach now, you know, I was doing a fraction of it. You know, I, I might have been, you know, I might have been kind of successful in leading people almost in spite of myself, just from different other skills that I had acquired, but I wouldn't say I was a great leader back then. I think I was a, I think I was a pretty good owner uh, and, and a pretty good manager of the business, pretty good systems operator, pretty good, pretty good with people. Don't get me wrong, but I, but I, I build teams a whole lot differently now than I, than I did back then. So the, the, the thing about being a leader, though, is most good leaders don't even know they're good leaders, <laughs> you know, until someone says, someone actually points it out to them. Uh, I, I tell uh, my uh, management staff all the time, if you have to tell somebody, hey, I'm the boss or I'm the manager, you're not. 
<laughs> you know, they, they should know that. It, it should be instinctive. And I, I feel the same way with, you know, great leaders. I think that uh, uh, it's, it's just something that is, uh, well, you, you you do build it over time. And, and, and reading books like we basically discussed a little bit, like this one here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is uh, fantastic and helps you out if you're starting a business and then uh, you need to go ahead and delve into those those ideas about being a great leader and it's in order to be successful no question again that comes from self-motivation to to, to want to grow to want to get better to you know kind of a self-evaluation of where am i and and, and where do i want to go and how do i get there and it's funny you, you showed that book because that was that was the catalyst um you know, 21 Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell took me to um, becoming a member of the John Maxwell team and, and really just learning. I feel very privileged to be able to learn at the hand of John Maxwell. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, you know, he's written hundreds of books. Um, just was, was named the winner of a Horatio Alger Award. And and um, so I've really kind of, one thing about me is if I latch onto something, I'm going to go deep, do a deep dive in it. And that became that became my focus is okay, how do I how do I make myself a better leader and then how do I pass on those traits to um, my, my managers, my team, so that we have a leadership culture in our restaurants as opposed to a management culture. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was so passionate about doing that because I it's so different. I mean, we're not in that, you know, iron age or in you know uh, industrial age where where a manager just kind of was an authority because of their position, you know, and people had to respond to them because that was, that was their position and, and they had to, uh, today people want to, people want to be led, right. They don't want to be managed and they want to believe in the person right. that's right. leading them. So those are, those are different skill sets. And I think a lot of people take them for granted, but it takes work to develop those. It takes an understanding and takes an awareness and then, and then you have to apply it. And, and the thing about being a, a great leader, it actually makes your job easier, you know, because you're not constantly striving to manage something. You're having other people do that through your leadership, you know, and, and your, your job becomes so much easier. It's exactly what I tell everybody is, is um, this is how to make your life easier as a manager, because, you know, in, in the restaurant business, any, in, in any business, middle management is very difficult. Any management is difficult. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the restaurant business, if you're dealing 95% of your job is dealing with people, whether it's the guests, whether it's your team, whether it's the other managers, whether it's the owner, whether it's the regional manager, whatever you're dealing with. And if you don't have those people skills, those soft skills, those leadership skills, your life's just going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just going to be yep. difficult. You're going to be the one that's saying, you know, um, you know, it's complaining about your employees. This, this was the thing I always, I always laugh about. I, I, I'll get in conversation with managers of whatever, and, and I'll hear them complain about their employees. I'll sit there and listen. I said, I don't get it. They said, what do you mean? Uh, don't you have employee issues? I said, well, yes. I said, but, you know, you, you have to lead, you know, be a leader and lead them through it. I said, I said so my question to you, though, is, is you hired them. You trained them, and now you're complaining about them. But that means you kept them. 
So why why would you why would you keep somebody that 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 isn't fitting your culture? But they okay. do it because truthfully they're afraid to make those changes. And and I, I believe I, I I believe that if they would take the time to develop their leadership skills, and and that includes being a great manager. You can't be a great leader and and, and not be mm-hmm. a good manager. You can be a great okay. manager and be a very poor leader. That, mm-hmm. that, that can, but if you're a great leader, you're also a great manager. Yeah, and that's that, and yeah, and that's what I tell everybody. I says, I says, when you're a great leader, you're going to be able to make those management decisions much easier. Mm-hmm. And that might mean changing out staff, making those, you know, being clear on, on the changes you need to make to improve the business. Mm-hmm. Fred wants to ask you a question. Well, before we do that, since it's now that point in time, we'll go do a commercial. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments, views? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y. And we want to remind our listeners that they can dial in or call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And Heidi, our technical producer, will talk to you and get your question on the air. Or you can chat at either the pillarsoffranchising.com or the linklocalnetwork.com. And we'll get your questions on the air. And we want to give a shout out to Feedspot for ranking us as uh, one of the top 20 franchise podcasts you must follow in 2020. And Ray, tell me, what number are we? Now, you said we're we're not one of. We are the number one. (laughs) Go on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, other than being very happy about that, so David, um, you've been a franchisee for a long time. I want to go uh, and drill into the second pillar, which is um, that stage when people, the, those first couple of years, the first one to three or four years where everything seems to go crazy, and it's the mentoring, support, and training. What was, what were your experiences like in, in getting mentoring, um, especially as the first franchisee? There there couldn't have been a lot of mentoring and support already in existence from the franchisor since you were number one, much like we are in the franchise podcast. <laughs> um, actually, you know, that that's an interesting way that you put it. And I would say it was just the opposite. And what I, what I mean by that is we had absolutely tremendous, phenomenal, personal, caring support because we were the first ones. Um, and, and 
the, the original owners, because now it's been it's changed hands a couple of times, but the original owners were so invested in, in everybody's success. And, you know, when I, when I joke around about saying we don't didn't know what we didn't know in the beginning, it was really because they were as fledgling as, as, as any franchisor also. So, you know, we didn't know how strong they were financially. We didn't even think they asked. We knew they had seven locations and we were the first franchisee. But they were so vested in making sure that we were successful, that that they went over and above on their training. They they, they basically held our hands through everything, and they were always there for us. Um, you know, and they just didn't have a lot of the sophistication of the systems, right? And I think that's what a lot of people, when they get into franchising, they look for. What are the systems? As far as we can, we're concerned, the systems are great for what we knew and what we needed. Now you look back on it over the years and the evolution and you know, those systems were might as well been like first grade is, you know, into master's level education, but, but we didn't know at the time and it worked at the time. So the, the care and the support was there. It just, we just weren't very sophisticated in what we were doing then. And, and the brand has evolved so much over the last 28 years. It's, it's not even the same brand. So as a follow-up, as you, um, uh, work with other types of franchisees, not necessarily Buffalo Wild Wings, but what do you see the mistakes that other franchisors, and you don't have to name any, but what do you see are mistakes made by other franchisors um, in that second pillar of training, mentoring, support? I, that's a fantastic question, um, and it really depends on the industry that, that, that I've noticed. Um, and then back up depends on the organization in that industry because you know my, my biggest thing is is again I'll always I'll always go back to training I'll always go back to training and I think I think there's some some franchises out there that, that they're more about fast accelerated growth as opposed to good foundational um, successful franchisees so that's always the first thing we look for. And, and the reason I say it is because I, I, I was involved in two other franchisees that were, that's what that was all about. That's what they were all about. And, and the financial models didn't work and it didn't matter. The whole goal was let's just put up locations. So that'd be the first thing is, 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 you know, where are they grounded? Where's the, where's their focus? And then I go back to, I go back to, um, you know, is, is, is their focus on supporting the franchisees? I mean, that's that. It, I can't stress that enough because if if they're not focused on supporting franchisees, and I'm talking about whatever might be the struggle of the day, right? Because because that could change. It might be, hey, the franchisee might need a lot of support in their initial location. They might need support when they go to multi-unit locations. They may they may need support in in. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's a downturn in the economy. How, how do we get through it? And, you know, we're fortunate right now. The brand that we're with is, is absolutely phenomenal with communication and, and doing and, and, and keeping everybody in a loop and making sure that we're, we're, we're well um, fortified in, in support. But when I talk to other franchisees, it's, it's all over the board. And I think from a franchisee level, what most franchisee what most franchisees don't get is great, consistent training, especially in the area of leadership, soft skills, and people skills. 
They'll teach all the systems in the world. They'll have great systems. They'll tell you how to run everything, how to manage everything, how to keep the books, when the royalty checks to be sent in or, or when it's going to be EFT. I mean, they make sure that's down. <laughs> but, 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 we, but we lack, we lack I think, as a general business, but especially in a lot of franchisees, they, they, they give lip service, right? If they're going to teach you 100% of the training, 5% is going to be, hey, here's how you have conflict resolution among your team or among your guests or whatever. It's the soft skill training, I think, most likely. Ray? That, that's true. I think some franchisors, some franchisors forget where their money comes from. <laughs> and they and uh, they don't concentrate on, on all the things that you, you just talked about. And uh, one, one of the things you talked about uh, previously was, uh, you know, the fact that failure was not in your lexicon. Mm-hmm. It was not, it just wasn't there. And what that creates is something that uh, I've heard other people refer to as uh, fire in the belly. I mean, you, you have to succeed. There is no other option. And, uh, I, th- I think we need to get that across to some people who are in our audience who are thinking about franchising that basically uh, it's going to be difficult the first, you know, one, two, three or four years, however long it takes until, you know, uh, your business takes root just, just like a plant. And uh, that can, it can be difficult at, at times. Well, there's no question about it. Every step of the way is going to present its own different challenges. So to your point, um, extremely difficult in the beginning because the learning curve was so steep. I mean, we came from corporate jobs and all of a sudden we're running you know, kind of a sports bar theme and never even thought about running a restaurant before so or, or a bar before. So we had to learn everything. And then... Here, here's, here's, here's where a lot of people miss, and I, I see this, too, because it was just something we struggled with in the beginning. So it took us a while to get, to get going. So that was intestinal fortitude. And, and about four or five months in, we finally started seeing the corner or, or, or turning the corner and started getting some sales where, you know, we, we could pay our bills, right? The very, in the beginning, we didn't have money to begin with because we drained it because we were late getting our, our location open by about four months. So we we're pretty much out of money. Um, but so we're hanging in there with our bills and then it kind of took off. And, and I think that's the reward oh, yeah. for, for hard work. And I heard some people call it the whoosh effect where you just kind of, you know, you, 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 sow what you reap, right? You just put your nose down and you keep doing it. You keep doing, it, you keep your faith, the relentless persistence, and then you get the reward. And, and what had happened was it, it became successful and it became extremely, extremely popular and became one of the most popular places in Cleveland by the next summer. So that fueled a lot of a lot of cash flow, and so we opened that in July of '92. December of '93, we opened up another one. December of '94, we opened up another one. In the meantime, we had two kids, bought a house, and moved. So you know, all, all the stressors, right? <laughs> all within a couple yeah. of years. But so now we're we're sitting there going, "This is pretty good. This is pretty cool." Except that brought a whole bunch of other challenges. Multi-unit ownership, especially in an accelerated growth pattern, isn't all it's cut out to be if you don't have the experience and prepared for it. So that brought another set of challenges. And, and again, that's where I refer back to, was my leadership that great at that time? No, I was, 
I was managing and hanging on by the skin of my teeth and just trying to get people to do what I needed them to do, right? I wasn't leading them. I was pretty much directing them and managing them. So when I look back, that was, that was the next learning curve for me. And then, um, and then things were pretty good. So you have a tendency then to think, hmm, this is easy now. It's always going to be good. <laughs> and there, and that is not, that, that could be further from the truth because, you know, somebody said, you, you know, you're, you're either in a crisis, you know, you came out of a crisis or you're heading to a crisis. Right. <laughs> and, uh, we didn't know it, but we were, we were heading towards a crash and, uh, we had no idea. And, um, you know, so about, you know, in 94, we opened up the, the, the third location and by this time, our kids are getting a little bit busy and a little bit older, and we're busy with them. And about 10 years later, we opened up another one. And it, it sounds kind of kind of strange to take that long of a gap. And when we did, it immediately crashed. And so we never saw that coming. I mean, we had some difficulties opening up the other ones, but they always took off. So this one came out of the ground. We, you know, said, okay, we want to own the real estate, not just rent it. So you know, we sunk, you know, two and a half million dollars, bought the building, bought the property, you know, and this is going to be great, except it wasn't. We were doing about 60% of what we needed to be, you know, our break-even sales in the beginning. Wow. And because of that, over the next couple of years, the losses trying to sustain, you know, we couldn't sustain those losses. And it drained our other locations. We we're trying to keep them afloat. And then those of you that may have franchise agreements, listeners, whoever, you know, we all know that we have a, you know, a term on those franchise agreements. And, and in our term, we had either remodel or, you know, and at renewal time, we either had to remodel to the, you know, then current standards or or relocate. Mm -hmm. Well, the new location had drained us so bad, we're pretty much out of money again. um, And we lost those locations. And those were the only things that were profitable and paying our bills and paying our you know, getting and paying our salaries. So make a long story short, at that point in time, you know, our kids were, you know, probably early teens at that time. And we weren't ready for this crash. But, you know, we had lost at that time, we lost our savings. You know, we lost our retirement, we lost the kids college funds, our house was in foreclosure, we're looking at, you know, two and a half over two and a half million dollars of debt. And we had no income. So you ride that wave and then all of a sudden you make that one decision and boom, it's, you didn't see it coming. And trust me, a lot of restless, sleepless nights, a lot of depressing times, moments, self-doubt, you know, how did I get so stupid? Can I even do this anymore? All those, all those emotions start going through your head. And I, I remember going into my accountant's office and, and he says, he says, Dave, can, can you turn this thing around? And I looked at him probably for the first time in my life. I said, I don't know. And he says, well, guess what? You're going to have to. Otherwise, this thing's going to come crashing down on you. And we did the same thing all over again. Right? That was in 08. Um, January of 09, I went back into our restaurant. I said, I can't believe how bad, you know, how bad we're operating. But we'll turn it around. And we just dug in, did the exact same thing again. It was 24-7. Was I nervous about our kids being teenagers and never seeing their parents? Absolutely. You know, my you know, my sister would come over, bring us some food. My mom would come over, bring bring the kids some food, take care of them. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were gone. I mean, we were gone. We, we were going to survive again. That survival instinct kicks in. And that's what I try to tell everybody is, you know, now all of a sudden, like I said, so when I told you in the beginning, kind of went up and down, you know, we turned some restaurants around, did some other things, then we combined and, 
and did some things, but you know, I look back, there's a lot of mistakes I made, a lot, because I didn't have the guidance, I didn't have the awareness, more importantly. And, you know, I tell everybody, I says, I took it for granted, I, I didn't have enough gratitude, you know, so, um, you know, I tell everybody, be grateful. I mean, that's that's the number one thing. I think everybody should be grateful for what you have, regardless of what it is. But, um, you know, I learned my lessons, and uh, you know, never to be repeated again. <laughs> I like I like and the number one point. I like the number one rule of being grateful. To me, the number two rule is being, which you you proved is being too stupid to quit. Unkind way of putting it. You know? No, no, but but I, I've used that on myself before. It's a, it's a, my own you know my my own detriment. Sometimes I just refuse to quit, no matter how bad it is, and you just keep going. Always the optimist, right? Always the optimist. Well, no, you actually used the phrase earlier. Um, Ray Kroc, uh, at least according to sources I've seen, one of his favorite phrases was that um, the single determining factor to success was not talent, was not money, was not luck, was not charm or, or niceness or anything like that. They all helped. But the single most important factor to determining success was persistence. That if you had to walk through walls, you walked through walls and you kept doing it until you succeeded. Me, I call that too stupid to succeed or too stupid to quit. <laughs> so with that note, we'll take another commercial and then come back with another question. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Women will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are the Franchise Women. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. And we're back. So the question I want to ask is, is um, this is one we like to uh, ask for our, the, our listeners who are looking at buying a franchise, and, and I seem to find them or they seem to find me. So how much cash would you tell somebody they needed to buy a franchise? That's a, that's a that's a great question. It's going to determine on the fran- it's going to be determined on the franchise and, and that investment level. Um, it, it's you know it's, it's not so much. It's, let me back up a little bit. It's going to determine on the investment level that each franchisor requires. I mean that, that that's a given. Where where I see so many franchisees and, and business owners in general, but especially franchisees kind of trip on this is they kind of look at their investment and they look at the franchise fee itself and the franchise fee is just, you know, that's just extra money you're paying to, to get their marks and, and to get the systems and to get those types of things. After that, it's no different than any other business. 
as far as your investment level is going to take. And, and I think what happens, a lot of franchisees get fooled and saying, well, I bought a franchise. It's going to be successful right out of the gate. So, so I might not need as much working capital. Or, or why do I have to spend $3,500 on grand opening um, advertising? Well, you want to be successful, right? <laughs> you know, so I, you know, whatever that advertising number was in the beginning, I always doubled or tripled it because I wanted to make sure. So, so I build those cash flows in, and then I, I, I because the franchise fee, that's just, you know, what it is. And then I say, and I, and, and then I, I'll go and I'll take six months of of cash flow, and see, you know, realistically, if you've done your pro formas, you know what, you know, you're kind of expecting. So go to a worst case scenario pro forma, build six months of cash flow into that, put a little bit more towards advertising. That's an investment, not an expense, especially in the beginning. You know, I, I tell everybody when when they when they complain to fran about the franchisors going, oh, I've got this, you know, uh, ongoing you know, uh, or this, this initial advertising expense. And I tell everybody, I said, well, how else are you going to get your business launched? I mean, just because you hung the shingle up, people still don't know what it is. You still have to make that commitment. And then I'm one of the few out there, when I, when I look at advertising, I don't look at it as an expense. I understand it's on the balance sheet as an expense. I mean, it's an expense in the income statement. But I, I, I liken it to somebody going, if you're going to go to a bank, you're going to put in $10 and they're going to give you $100. How many times are you going to do that? You can do it all day long, right? And it's the same thing. If you've got a good advertising mechanism, why would you ever put a budget on it to say, I'm only going to spend this much? You want to keep it rolling. Now, that's a little bit different when you have the national ad funds and your local regional co-op funds. You can always question, just like where our tax money goes, how well it's being spent, right? You can question that. But if they're if they're strong brand and, and they're building the brand for you, then you can take your other dollars and you you can track those really, really well to make sure that you're getting an investment on those dollars, you're getting a payback on those dollars. But but as far as a as far as a number, you know, that's gonna vary with the franchise. Uh, but but I I always tell everybody, you know, if you don't have, you know, and there's different school stuff, but you know, if you're if you're not willing to to, to capitalize six months of cash flow to allow yourself to get started and be and, and, and make sure that you have a good amount that you're dedicating to making sure that you're going to advertise your business. I, I, I think you're looking at it wrong. I mean, you're expecting the, the shingle on the roof to carry your business. And I, I, I see a lot of people fail in that regard. They run out of money before they got a chance to, to, to make it work. And, and, and what a shame to lose all your hard work and all your money because you only needed another dollar. <laughs> what's, 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 the, what's the gold mining thing? Four feet from gold or whatever that was. And yeah. 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 I, think right. that, I think that's what is, I think a lot of time, you know, they, they, a, lot, a lot of people view franchising as safer and their statistics that, you know, could bear, you know, that bear it out, but, but it's not going to carry you. It's still, it's still your business. You still have to apply proper business principles mm -hmm. to it. And, and, and if you don't, you know, then what happens? And you get on a message board and you complain, oh, I didn't get enough support from the franchisor, which truthfully is with anything, right? We have to look in the mirror first before yeah. we, before yeah. we oh, take accountability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's, uh, that's another thing I, I tell my managers too. I, I said, if you find fault in somebody, stop looking 
with your finger pointing out and take that finger and point it in, in, in inwardly and say, how could I have told that person differently or, or coached that so the outcome becomes more desirable? You know, that's, uh, it, it's so easy to be critical. But, uh, it really is. And, and you know, when, when we crashed and, you know, I mean, our family was at risk. I mean, the house in foreclosure, everything's gone. And we're trying to figure out, you know, where are our kids going to, you know, is one of our, is our son going to have to live with the, his grandmother? We're gonna, what are we going to do with our daughter? And, you know, and, and those, those are scary things. But what you just said, the reason it, it prompted this was that's not the only time, but that's, that's the one that always sticks in my mind because I've used this for everything from that point on is we would go to turn that restaurant around, turn that sports bar around. And, and my wife would drive. And, and again, like I said, we were gone all day long, open to close. And I would sit in the passenger seat and just close my eyes and think, what do I need to do? What, what's the next step? You know, what, what, how am I going to get out of this? What, 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 what do I, what, you know, what things do I need to change? What's it going to take? And when people are upfront and honest with themselves and ask themselves those types of questions, those those deep thinking questions, they're going to get their answers. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to explain, but, but I tell everybody, you know, I, I, there's almost, you know, God was guiding me. I tell everybody, I, I don't, I just kept coming up with ideas and kept coming up and we just kept plugging along and there was no way I was going to quit. But every step along the way was, was kind of a, an answer to the question I would ask. I would just close my, my eyes and say, you know, what do I need to do? Right, right. Yeah, you know, setbacks and failures are part of the business, but they're only bad if you don't learn something from it. That's correct. You know, you know it, it, that's part of life. In your entire life, you have to have these little things that are, they can be considered bad. They can, you know, that's part of learning. And if you don't learn from, from those things, then that is the failure. It's not the not the not the the fact that something bad has happened, but the failures that you didn't learn from it. And, and you know what, Ray? That's that's a thousand percent on because that's what led me to to you know everything is. Once we crawled out of that thing, clawed, I should say, is a better word, clawed out of that that yeah. hole, yeah. and it started getting successful. And then we turned another one around. We we took an acquisition. The uh, the franchisor was demanding it be closed is in really bad shape. Um, and then we, we, we took that one over and uh, we turned that around. I tell everybody, same location, same menu, same people, you know, same, same stuff, but just, you know, operate differently. So we turned that around. Then I went on my journey because I said, okay, this is great. I have this kind of skill set, and it really comes from tenacity and relentless persistence. I get that, but now I have to become a better better person, a better business, businessman, a, you know, a, a better leader. So this never happens again. Yeah. And that's what sent me on that journey to say how, okay. So I asked the question, what do I need to do to survive and make my business successful? Then the question became, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go to better myself? Mm-hmm. And that led me to, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar's corporations, you know, I became a, a certified Ziglar, you know, trainer, um, and then John Maxwell, and then Robert Rome through, through the model of human behavior disc training. And I just, 
I just wanted all the information at that point in time. I wanted to be the best person I could be. I wanted to be the best leader I could be. I wanted to treat people better than than they could ever possibly be treated or think they could be treated in, in, in a business. So that took me on that journey and, and, and I've stayed on that journey. And, you know, if you think about, you know, the question that you can always ask yourself, you know, what's the one thing that you can do that can make everything else unnecessary, you know, and, and that is grow yourself so you can grow others. And if you do that and you create that culture in your business, everything else goes away. Everything else just happens. You know, one, one of my favorite gurus is uh, Stephen Covey, and, uh, and one of his uh, uh, famous sayings is, begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I find that that has really, you know, just keep that in the back of my head all the time. How, what am I doing now that's going to affect things all the way down the line when you're ready to, you know, pull back from the business, retire, sell, or give it to your kids or whatever? You know, it's uh, you got to start thinking now about those things and how that's going to uh, affect later on. And Ray, I, 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 so no, I, I okay. agree. I've been a long-term fan of Covey. Okay, and and, and there's a, a large part of me that agrees with the begin within the end in mind, and yet I see and talk to a whole lot of people that because they're trying to get because they know long term where they want to go they psych themselves out because they think they have to have everything perfect mm-hmm. of where they want to be so even they they never begin they they don't take that you know there's the old phrase the, the journey of a thousand That's miles true. takes the first step so my only gripe with that is is that right. That seems to psych out a fair number of people who are afraid to fail. And you can't mm-hmm. let that fail, fear of failure stop you. Otherwise, you're too no. smart to succeed. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, you're absolutely right. Yeah. We'll hit another question. So, my next question is kind of based on last week's show where we were talking about the franchise disclosure document or greatest cure known to mankind of insomnia. So what would you recommend to the uh, 1% of franchisees who, as far as we can tell, actually read the FDD? The other 99% seem to let their lawyers do it. What are the top three items you'd recommend a, a franchise, potential franchisee to read first? Or if it's the only thing they read, they read these three things in the FDD. Well, I, I'm going to say this. I mean, it's been a long time since I've had to look at an FDD, right? Or UFOC, as it, is it called sometimes, or was back in the day. Um, here's the thing, though. Here, here, here's, here's. <laughs> if I read it, I attempted to, right? I'm going to be the good, you know, as the first franchisee, I'm going, I'm going to do everything, right? So I'm going to attempt to read this thing, um, and then you pretty much say, hey, okay, where's my, where's my attorney. I need a, an attorney. Okay. Here's your, here's, can you look over this document for me? I mean, that's pretty much how it goes, but you know, I, I've seen some really, really poor FDDs. I've seen some really, really poor. Um, I don't want to call them misleading because technically they can't, right. They're supposed to be filing them and this and that. But, but one of the things that, that I, I tell everybody is, is if you have an FDD 
with any type of earnings claims, sales, um, whatever, uh, you know, um, average unit volumes, those types of things. If they're disclosing them, then they have to be accurate. And, and, I, and, I, and that, that would be number one. And that might be the first and foremost, because to be honest with you, I don't know how much you can negotiate. I, I guess depending on your business, you might want to look at territorial restrictions. That would be the number two thing. And then the number three thing I think that would be very important is, is, is I'm big on, on saturation and oversaturation or whatever. So, so I, I would see how they want to design, you know, how they want to um, grow, how they're defining, defining their markets um, and see what kind of territory restrictions and make sure that there aren't some infringement rights that, that, that are going to impact your business. But then I go back to the earnings claims and, and, and I'll tell maybe a tip for somebody else. I, I did this with one franchise we looked into is they had an earnings claim on there and it was great. You, you look at that and, and, and the average unit volume, you say, I'm buying this thing. It makes sense. It hits my pro forma. And then I just wasn't quite sure. So this is, you know, 15, 16 years ago, different franchises, not different franchise, not Buffalo Wild Wings, BW3 at the time. And I, I just, I got a list of the franchise names and I, and I put together a little survey and back in that day, it was, you know, all mail. And, and I mailed them, you know, a $20 bill. I think I, I mailed, I think I mailed a hundred of the franchisees, a $20 bill with a survey and asked in a self-addressed stamped envelope and, and really wanted to find out what this franchisee was all about. And I, and all the questions, you know, support, you know, this, and, and, and I put on there an average unit volume because that was my franchise or not. And, um, and, you know, we got a good response. Some people just kept money and, you know, probably answered the questions or threw the questions out you know, themselves. But, but that's okay. I figured it was worth the $200 investment to keep from making a multi, you know, tens of thousands of dollar mistake. So, so we decided not to go forward with it, um, even though the, 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 the uh, surveys came back very strong, very positive. So we kick ourselves that we didn't, we didn't go forward with it now. But um, I, I like that method. Any way you can get some due diligence from legitimate franchisees, the better you can do, the better you can protect yourself. Wow, right? That sounds like what you would say, isn't it? That it does, absolutely. <laughs> so it's now time to go down the rabbit hole. And everyone who's watching can uh -oh. see our really cool <laughs> rabbit hole graphics, even though you guys can't. After that, Ray will get his famous last question, but now we go down the rabbit hole. And, and I've been actually putting forethought into this one. So my question is this. Given the, as we had discussed before, the ongoing admissions by the multiple governments of the world, including the U.S., about uh, the trueness or, of UFO or whatever they're calling them these days, sightings, that seems to indicate that we're going to get some type of alien invasion. So my question is, is how will Buffalo Wild Wings go about bringing out new flavors of wings for alien visitors? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, they'll do what they always do. They'll, uh, they'll go into their test kitchen. <laughs> And then they'll and then they'll uh, they'll round up um, their test subjects and they'll they'll roll it out in certain locations. But 
and then they'll test and they'll get feedback from the guests. However, it's going to be difficult because they're going to have to do it in Area 51 or some other area. <laughs> I mean, we might not have any locations somewhere. So, so you know, um, we're going to have to do some research to see, you know, again, go back, you know, you know, what, what's the, what's the most, um, um, you know, outrageous sauce that we can come up with that, that might, uh, that we might be able to entice them. With. But then again, we all have some alien DNA, so maybe we can draw. From yeah, that. that's true. It's true. Uh, God, I love that. Excellent. All right, Ray. I think to be a franchise owner, you have to have some alien DNA in you. <laughs> you have to be a little crazy. <laughs> a little crazy. I think to be a, a small crazy. business but owner, you got to be crazy. Wouldn't have changed. All right, Ray. Your famous final last question. We've talked a lot about uh, your franchise, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, and uh, franchising in general. So if someone is interested in talking to you specifically about those subjects, can they call you? And if so, what, how would you like them to get a hold of you? Um, I, you know, probably the easiest way is just, just go to my website and get in touch with me or, or, or email. And the website's davidkajanic.com or the email david at davidkajanic.com be glad to help out any way I can, um, you know, uh, and answer, and answer types of questions. I've done it a lot, um, for, for different franchisees because, you know, if I can help somebody avoid pitfalls, you know, then, then, then that's, that's good. That's good. Because, you know, a, a quote that I have that I've had kept with me since, uh, since I was a teenager is, you know, life is not important except in the impact it has on others. And, and a lot of people that get into franchising are making are making life changing or life risking, you know, financial decisions. And if I can help, that's great. You know, I don't do too much of it anymore. Um, you know, to be honest with you, what I do mostly is 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 I is I train on you know building relationships and communication teamwork. It's everything I do in my in my company, and and I and that, that's what I focus on. But my gosh, I'll I'll always be able to or you know best my ability with my time constraints you know, help, help out wherever I can. I mean, because, you know, it can be a scary world for people just starting out for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. You have been a fantastic guest, David. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. And your information will be on our webpage. Uh, so if no one wants to get a hold of you that way, they can do that as well. So Fred, yeah, Ray, it's been that time. Thanks to David Kajanik. I think I got that not too bad. Um, this has been an awesome episode, for, especially for those who want to buy a franchise. So we'll be back next week with another interesting guest on...